Hello, and welcome back to my podcast called Faith is Strength. I'm Nochim Anel, speaking out of Earmont, New York, helping spread the beautiful light of spirituality across the world. The date of this recording is Sunday, February 11th of 2018. May my words and the expressions of my soul be gratifying to everyone who hears them. I pray that my ideas help pave a beautiful path in your journey of life. Thank you for tuning in. We entered a new year. I've been beyond busy and preoccupied with a million things. I wanted to record something at the end of last year. That didn't materialize. Then I wanted to record something in the beginning of the new year. That didn't pan out either. And now we are already in the second month of 2018, and I'm not even recording what I said I would at the end of my last podcast, which was another piece about therapy and growth. But that's the beauty of life, right? Unexpected turns and chain of events. But instead of caving in, I prefer to dance with the music. I will circle back to the therapy podcast, hopefully soon. Today I'm taking a little break from my usual topics. I'm going to do a commentary on one of the recent shows that Dave Rubin from The Rubin Report released on YouTube. If you're not familiar with The Rubin Report, I would highly recommend you check it out. If you are into brewing topics that this world is currently dealing with, that is. I'm not here to encourage anyone to begin a new routine of wasting valuable time on listening to this stuff if you're not already into it. What I'm suggesting is that if you are of the average populace who spends some of their day keeping up with news, politics, or ideas, then you might as well be referred to good sources. The Rubin Report is one of them. It isn't easy to find reliable, unbiased sources of information that are valuable to the soul and intellect. We live in a very guided world. YouTube and just about every other mega platform that people spend hours on control and decide what they will feed you. Knowing human nature and psychology so well, these masters behind our technology can literally tell you what you will watch or choose before you even logged in for your daily or hourly scroll through. Data, data, data. It's all about data. Amazon can predict your next purchase and knows which warehouse to store the product so that it gets to you in the most timely and efficient manner. And their algorithms are only getting better by the day. Since we have systems for capturing and organizing data so well, we essentially have the ingredient that we need in order to feed, or as is often considered, recommend, the right content for you at the right time. The people who are often viewed upon as conspiracy theorists would call this mind control. And perhaps on a technical level that is what's taking place, but that's only the symptom. I question whether the problem is deliberate or merely the outcome of unperfected technology. If it's a product of both, then we're doomed. Because as we do perfect it more and more, we're going to be looking at more and more mind control. But YouTube allows users to subscribe to specific channels and scroll through their subscription uploads. Yet for some reason, the overwhelming majority of us end up in sessions of hour-long watching of videos that we aren't interested in. One leads to the other, which leads to the next, and so on. Three hours later, you're wondering, how did I get here? The comment section illustrates this phenomenon all the time, with comments on every video like, What am I doing here? Or, thanks YouTube, you got me again. 
I'm referring to the type of passive content that doesn't make you think, nor is it even remembered an hour later. It leaves no impact on the body, mind, or soul. Now, is this a result of imperfect formulas and algorithms, or is this the elite's way of keeping people entertained with garbage? The correct answer, I'm afraid, is unknowable at the moment. I'm not of the ones who default to doomsday, don't get me wrong. I don't go there. Perhaps I'm being too modest or optimistic with impending danger, but my instinct to trust and not to worry seems to get the better half of me. I hope that we move into a future that proves doomsday prophecies wrong. But of course, there is the possibility that I'll be wrong. Only the future will tell the full tale. There is a remedy, though, and it's one that doesn't rely on modern technology. It's called self-discipline. We need to discipline ourselves to only watch what we want to, to not waste time on passive videos that numb and dumb the mind. This is the type of stuff that we are into. This is what podcasts and conversations like these are designed for. We want to effectively navigate the emerging dangers of societal changes. Only by way of conversation, information gathering, and implementation will we remain above and ahead of it. And guys, I'm sorry if I sound a little clogged up. I do have a pretty bad cold, trying not to cough and blow my nose, and I'm nice and, nice and bogged up. The Rubin Report is one of many platforms or channels that promote like-minded ideology. We want to make it our business to surround ourselves with good, honest, and open-minded information and conversation. That doesn't mean that we close ourselves off to opposition. The opposite is true. The channels I speak of are the channels that have open conversation with anyone about anything, as long as they are having it civilly. We need to distance ourselves from channels that are biased and closed to opposing ideas. Remember, conversation and information are literally what shape all of our thoughts and understanding throughout our life. It is imperative that we surround ourselves with people or groups that will enrich our journey by having conversations that promote honesty, respect, open-mindedness, and compassion and also big ideas. Some of us are plain and simply sick of the same oatmeal every day. Give us something for our brain to process. The brain is a muscle. Help me help it grow. Make it work. There are two things I would like to preface before I get into commenting on the actual content of the show that this podcast is based on. Number one, I'm not slipping into politics. I want to make that clear. There are aspects of the show in reference that touches on politics. I will skip over those parts because politics is an animal of its own. One that requires Ben Shapiro type of brain power to digest without having a negative impact on the soul. It isn't an area of particular interest to me at the current time either. On top of that, I believe that there are two facets of politics. One is entertainment politics. That is what most of this world is familiar with and wholly absorbed in. 
It's completely passive and non-impacting. It changes nothing and starts everything. And by everything I mean fights, hostility, non-essential conflict. The second phase of politics is a breed of its own and shouldn't even be lumped together with, with its counterparts. And that is genuine politics, which consists of intellectual discussion covering a long list of issues or topics. There's a difference between pounding your chest and cheerleading on Facebook that your team is the coolest and sitting down to a three-hour conversation about whether abortion is morally right or wrong. The former being entertainment politics, the latter referring to genuine politics, of course. I'm not interested in either, for the sake of this podcast. I don't even plan on talking about political issues at all for the time being, as that is not my industry of choice, for a lack of better words. <laughs> what I am going to talk about are the topics of overlapping nature that pertain to our scope of framework. I love spirituality, religion, philosophy, psychology, and other impacting and life-altering topics. By default, due to the broad definition or term politics, my areas of interest are often mingled into political discourse. Or as Ben Shapiro so wisely put it a few days earlier on the Rubin Report, 28 minutes into his conversation with Dr. Jordan Peterson, I quote, if you are operating in the sphere of politics and you dig deep enough, you are going to end up in the same waters as Jordan is used to being. And if Jordan elevates up that chain far enough, he's going to end up in the sphere where I'm used to operating, which is why there are videos of you talking to transgender people. End quote. And for those of you who don't know Jordan Peterson, I would highly recommend that you look him up too as he is a hot up-and-comer who is promoting very fundamental traditional outlook through his genius in clinical psychology. But what I'm aiming at is that there is an area of overlapping surface. If you refer to my last podcast where I depict the overlapping surface of spiritual and emotional health, this would be no different. However, in the case of education and intellectual conversation, I don't see a flaw in neglecting or simply not paying too much attention to one. I'm referring to politics specifically. We are not talking about health here. We are talking about areas of topics that one chooses to get educated and familiar in. Not every doctor is a lawyer. By that same token, I think it's perfectly sound of me to focus on my areas of passion, which are, as I've mentioned, spirituality, religion, philosophy, psychology, and some more. I don't see myself spending hours talking about economics, healthcare, or foreign policy. That's simply not my domain. Needless to say, my understanding and outlook naturally places me somewhere along the political spectrum in terms of affiliation and identity. But it isn't my goal nor intention to build upon that. To me, the political arena is a vicious world of lions and hyenas filled with fruitless debates and countless hours of frustrating conversations because naturally the people you talk to reside on another planet. I can't pretend to have the patience for that environment. I do agree though that the topics that I'm interested in play major roles in specific political discussion and societal implications. But again, I'm not here to shift into the political side of things. Rather, 
I would like to focus on the growth and spiritual aspects and see how these prevalent conversations can help improve the overall quality of our spiritual living. And of course, point out how a lot of these seemingly global topics actually mean so much to our spiritual journey. That's why I'm doing, and will probably continue to do, these commentaries. Number two, I would like to clarify why I believe that these conversations matter, even though it takes place outside of our religious bubble, and may be perceived as something that has no bearing on Judaism and where Am Yisrael is headed. The reason I think it does matter is because I do believe it has bearing on the future of our people. The argument that the secular world and their ideologies don't affect us is wrong, unless you live in New Square, perhaps, but for most Jews who are normally exposed to the real world, we are 100% affected by the society that we are part of. Here's some more food for thought. Orthodox Jews are always late to the game, especially ultra-Orthodox, always slow to catch on, but eventually do. We go through a process of rejecting, fighting, coming to terms with, then accepting and embracing. It's like that with everything, from technology to scientific findings. Why is that? Why don't we acknowledge that current secular worldview and direction directly affects our direction? And let us work within that consensus and framework. Instead, we pretend like it doesn't exist and only deal with the repercussions of it. It's always like that. Protest smartphones, then have a nervous breakdown when you find out that your children don't only have smartphones, but they're watching porn all day. Get ahead. I look up to Chabad.org for being one of the first Jewish organizations to make great use of the internet, while other sects are still pretending like it doesn't exist. When will they admit it? After all their followers have it at home and come to terms with its inevitability? We truly are a stiff-necked people, a trait that we need to constantly work on overcoming. Deep intellectual conversation in the secular world has future effect on the religious world. What the mega-brains hash out today will determine what we have to come to terms with tomorrow. Now, if you understand that coherently, then you can now decide if you want to be part of those conversations or whether you want to pretend like they aren't taking place. I hope for a future in Judaism where we are invited by our parents, educators, or leaders to be at the forefront of these conversations, as in create a space in which religious people could be part of it. I'm not suggesting that what I desire doesn't exist at all. I know it does, but not nearly enough. It's almost like the only way to be part of it is to rebel against your family and community and voice your opinion online and hope people hear it. There isn't a viable channel or outlet to accompany what I'm relating to. Non-religious Jews are very much part of these awesome conversations, and that's an interesting phenomenon to analyze in its own right. Regardless of which, we want to be exposed and open to all these awesome avenues so that we can begin to be more involved and help contribute to the overall mission and bigger picture. The takeaway here is to figure out the flaws within our current system of collaboration, education, and conversation. And let's begin to pave new roads to achieve better results. So let's begin. 
The conversation begins with a very strong point by both brothers, which is that institutions control and censor who and what they let in and talk about. Does this sound familiar? That is exactly what all ultra-Orthodox schools and yeshivas do. They tell you what you can and cannot talk about, what you can and cannot believe and learn. This in turn breeds a group, community, a country of people who are not free-thinking. Instead of being taught how to think for ourselves, how to formulate our own ideas based on the information that we receive, they have us park our minds in a very slim narrative. And for most of us, we live our whole life within the confines of that space, never liberating our intellect to run wild and free. Creativity? What's that? But something is changing now. Dave Rubin calls this the idea revolution. He claims that something very astonishing is taking place right now, which is that we are beginning to rethink and reevaluate our current outlook for something bigger, better, more profound, perhaps more truthful and impacting, and people are tuning in. This is not the conspiracy of one hobo trying to stir up noise. This is the validation of a very apparent phenomenon that's taking place right under our nose. People are sick, tired, and worn out from all the lies and BS we've been fed for the past couple generations. I agree with them. I've actually noticed the change and pattern shift quite some time ago, and I mentioned it to my partner, who I used to converse with about awesome things all day, uh, brothers, and even some friends. The way that I described it was that there are waves in society, similar to our waves or ups and downs in religious observance and spiritual growth. You know how we are often strong and feel connected, yet sometimes we feel down, distant, and weak? In that same way, this society experiences waves of ideas and outlooks. The world at large conforms to these waves and then gradually recesses back, followed by growth into its new outlook which is none other than the next wave coming in and swooping over everyone. And this is what's beginning to take place now. If I had to put a precise timeline to this, I would say that our current or latest outlook began in the mid to late 20th century. It reached its peak between 2000 and 2013, then began to disparage. Things quieted down. Arguments and disagreements became repetitive and boring. Fire and fury went for a cigarette break. The divide was great, and the side of the aisle that was promoting postmodernism was beginning to realize that they haven't entirely convinced the world of their ideologies. People still believe in God, tradition, and ancient knowledge, and it's not going anywhere. Not anytime soon, however. After a few years of relative calm, from about 2013 to 2016, we began to see a fresh and very refined outlook begin to trickle in. It's like the downtime allowed for people to recover from the onslaught of ungrounded abuse. And then once recuperated, the seeds were planted and began to grow. What we are seeing now are the trees and flowers that are sprouting. And from them alone, we are already gleaning very delicious and ripe fruit for the taking. 
Dave Rubin associates a lot of the sprouting of these trees to Donald Trump himself. Though we both agree about the phenomenon taking place, I actually think it began before Trump. I talked about this wave before Trump was running for president. I believe Trump is just another part of the wave, not that he created it. True, his election definitely gave voice to people's inner disagreements with society's direction and our collective pushed-upon approach to life and ethics, but he's merely a piece of a greater puzzle. The fact is, what was promoted and viciously still trying to be promoted by some is going out of style. It's dying. It does not resonate with intelligent people anymore, and it will be viewed upon as very biased and archaic in just a few years from now. I predict that we will laugh in disbelief that we crawled into such intellectual dishonesty, pure and utter nonsense based off of feelings. Now, how this is shifting is incredible in its own right. Eric Weinstein coined the term intellectual dark web to describe the mix of people who are audaciously pouring their ideas into the world now despite the backlash from the mainstream media. The new model on which they are able to do this is so beautifully simple. YouTube, podcasts, their own channel. Fact is, technology, when used for good purposes, helps this world grow in amazing ways. The fact that anyone has the ability to build a platform to share and gain a following is actually a huge contributing factor to this new wave that's taking place. It's one of the enabling factors. It reminds me of something I once mentioned to um, either Laser Brody or Mata Frank. I can't quite remember which one of them it was. I love them both so dearly, so it doesn't matter. They were saying that Mashiach will only come when God's glory and, and word will be spread across the world and accessible to everyone. So I said, I suppose Mashiach couldn't have possibly have come till now for we didn't have technology to spread God's word to every corner of the globe. We are only now reaching such innovation. Their response? He laughed. But what we are talking about here is a similar dynamic. We are reaching a stage in technology that is enabling us to move into the next great mode of understanding. I'm very into technology, so I can attempt to explain what I mean, if my examples haven't sufficed until now but I'm not sure my examples will, will resonate until it's fully integrated into the world. I'll, I'll try nonetheless. You know how people had conversations and debates in history, right? Face-to-face, -face, maybe some notes, perhaps transcript. Loads of information, arguments, and outlooks were written up in the form of the Bible. Just endless sentences that seem to be related to one another, yet create more questions than they answer. Along came science, modern mathematics, technology, and computers. With that, we no longer explore and analyze ideas the way that, say, the Talmud did, for example. We now have the ability to compartmentalize, organize, and deal with one topic at a time in a very analytical way. For in our evolved minds, this is a more practical and effective method of getting to the bottom of things. That doesn't stop people from having tantrums and illogical debates on Facebook, though, right? We know social media is littered with all kinds of nonsense and arguments that lead nowhere or are based on nothing truthful. 
So again, with the help of technology, we further evolve and platforms like Kialo come out, which is none other than a debate platform where you can have a logical debate and it will keep it organized and in perspective. They achieve this by mimicking the family tree model that is used in ancestry websites. It's truly brilliant. You can check it out at kialo.com, K-I-L-A-O.com. Their motto is, Kialo cuts through the noise typically associated with social and online media, making it easy to engage in focused discussion. So with their help, we will now be introduced to a more logical and effective way of debating. The fascinating part, though, is that they only reached their idea for such a platform through technology that was not originally developed for that purpose. They took existing technology and came up with cool ideas how to solve other problems. This is essentially what's taking place here. YouTube wasn't created for people with big ideas to share their thoughts, but because the technology for individuals to upload videos was created on a mega scale, we humans evolve accordingly and shift into using it for how we see fit. Couple that with the fact that mainstream media is doing a horrible job, this is what is enabling us to power up. Move to the next big thing. Before such technology existed, it simply was not possible for such greatness to take place. Such reasoning and conversation couldn't have happened. There was no platform, audience, or space for it. Living in modern times is truly fascinating, yet we aren't even scratching the surface of what can be done and utilized. Kialo is one example of a million issues that can be solved with existing technology. YouTube is a great example of how the dishonest mainstream media will be put to rest. There are endless examples of great things happening. You either see them and be part of them, or you don't. The choice is always ours. But either way, despite what's enabling the wave to take place, the point is, it is taking place. And another idea to think about is that thanks to technology, we are able to realize the lies and inconsistencies of the opposing parties. One of the most amazing things about lies and unfounded claims is that it won't hold up for too long, and thanks to technology, it will be exposed rapidly. Whereas in the past, lies could have stuck for centuries, we are in a time where you have a very small time frame or window to present and prove your ideas, or they will be overran by a million other ones that simply hold more weight. So if you take atheism or skepticism, for example, which came in with a hard swoop and a bang, making all kinds of reckless claims that seem to shake the foundation of everything society stands on, not even 20 years later, it began to fall apart and rethink its own position. Why is that? Because technology will not allow for illogic to endure for too long. The mainstream media, which is based on lies, is beginning to crumble. Why? Because technology, or the people using technology, are using it in a way to improve the system. My personal opinion is that the onslaught of atheism, skepticism, veganism, basically the whole postmodern left ideology, came in very prideful and not well thought out, basing their outlook on very immature scientific findings, 
they jumped the gun to a certain extent. They tried to make away with thousands of years of profound intellectual philosophy, and they felt like they succeeded at it, but they didn't. The change that we will now see in the coming years will prove it, and in fact, they didn't even poke the grizzly bear at all. To think that you can show up with a new ideology and do away with centuries of carefully thought-out philosophy is laughable and immature. We're not talking about discovering that the world is flat, indisputable facts. We're talking about issues of religion, belief, morality, meaning, philosophy, consciousness, and so much more. These are not elements that you simply make vanish because you're excited about what you think the future has in store for us with the backing of modern science. The bedrock upon which our past thinkers paved ways for us are so deeply rooted in every aspect of our lives, it is nearly impossible to construct a framework upon which you will not rely on it. And if you do manage to pull off a feat like that, you would need an untold amount of time and technology backing you. That is not something we are nearly close to. We are far from achieving such fantasies. We are literally in our infant stages of grasping our intellectual capacity, yet we wanted to jump to life-altering conclusions based on the construct of a couple scientific theories that are proving with time not to have as much bearing on the core belief system that all of our ideas are founded upon. This, I believe, ties into what's happening now. I think we are realizing, perhaps subconsciously for most, that there is so much more to this puzzle than what we had originally thought, and that it requires so much more honesty and exploration than we initially displayed. It requires patience and perseverance. It takes intellectual honesty and unbiased conversation, endless and endless amounts of hours of it, in order to come to any binding conclusions. That is what we are entering. A period of more thought, deeper ideas, ones that don't throw out our old ones, but rather use that to build upon new ones. Is this the highest level to reach? Is this the biggest wave we will get? Of course not. This will only lead to more profound constructs of thinking and understanding. And according to many philosophers, the learning curve, the information scale is infinite. There's a never-ending goblet of information out there. So with God's love and grace, I hope and pray that we continue moving in the right direction. The sublime flowers that will sprout from this apparent wave, if I'm analyzing it correctly, will be beautiful and promote much deeper and healthier outlook. Therefore, it matters. This is why I'm talking about it. If the secular world and the new version of media will be promoting God-friendly, spiritual-friendly, and positive-friendly ideology, then the world at large will be heading in a more constructive direction. This means that people at large will have a deeper sense of purpose and meaning in life. Imagine everyone seeking out goodness and growth, not just the minority. Imagine a world where everyone has the tools and mental prowess to share their own ideas. This is what proper cultivation of the right people and ideas can bring about, as opposed to what we've been spoon-fed until now. This is what you want to keep your eyes and hearts open to. This is what's happening. The key takeaway is that we need to have conversations, real conversations. And you know, there are three aspects to a conversation. The first aspect is the person talking, 
uttering words. The second aspect is the other person listening. While the third aspect is for the listener to respond. But learning new ideas doesn't come about when we just listen. We need to process the words and ideas that we hear. Now, processing requires attention and focus. We strip away our preconceived notions and responses and actually listen. One of Jordan Peterson's rules are to operate under the assumption that everyone has something to teach you. Everyone knows something that you don't. In Judaism, we know that the wise person is the one who learns from everyone. Eric Weinstein also mentioned the similar rule that he heard in the gathering of powerful minds. My point is that over the past two generations, we've grown accustomed, due to the seemingly horrible wave that influenced us, to be reactive, judgmental, and irritable. This is a mere outcome of putting feelings over rationale. But in order to achieve a world that I talked about before, we need to learn to do the opposite. We need to listen with extreme patience, process and think about all that is being said. Then you will naturally garnish a response or formulate your ideas or comments. It is so difficult to have conversations, meaningful conversations, with people who cut in every 10 seconds when people jump to conclusions or are thinking about being right or what their next response will be. In order to shift into the next level, in order to power up, as I call it, we need to adapt a more mature and disciplined way of communicating. Perhaps even verbalize some ground rules or determine whether or not the person you are conversing with is on the same planet as you. How often do people have conversations yet they are talking from two completely different places? As I told my brother the other day, if you can't have a conversation about conversation, then you can't have a conversation. Or you will anyway, and it will be fruitless. Did you get that? If you can't talk about the dynamic of a conversation, its structure and playing field, then you will result in a conversation of apples and oranges, which is ironic because it will bear no fruit, pun intended. So let's all try to be patient when we listen, open-minded as we process, and humble when we respond. Teaching yourself to act in this manner is actually very liberating because you're not a slave to your reactions and frustrations. In spiritual living, we value controlling our thoughts and learning how to think. Nothing promotes better inner peace than learning how to have a fruitful conversation where both parties walk away with their needs met and their thoughts heard. This can refer to a debate with your friend about God or it can be in a conversation about your children with your spouse. It doesn't matter the context. Communication is the key to all things, right? So let's apply that understanding to further our agenda in bettering the world and infusing our lives with more meaning and understanding. One last interesting observation that I would like to add, which ties into this new era of ideas, is that the outlook that we are now letting go of was largely incorporated based off of a global misconception. I truly believe this, and I'll explain what I mean. Over time, something has caused our population to have a general consensus of the biblical era that's overwhelmingly magical and mystical in modern definitions. 
But in reality, I don't believe that was the case. In fact, the more I strip away from the convoluted notions that were planted into me growing up, the more I've begun to paint a picture that is quite the opposite. I came to a very different understanding a long time ago. I'm talking about one or two years into my spiritual journey. I wasn't even 20 years old with a meager few years of re-education and I already saw past this misconception. But the world at large seems to still be entangled in it. What is it? Depictions of God as the old white guy in the sky is a perfect example. There are more, but I'll just use this example to make my point. The world doesn't just think of God in anthropomorphic terms. Skepticism was literally constructed on the basis of that being the believer's truth. Now, should you dispel that false assumption, then most of their objections holds no weight and falls apart. Their whole worldview crumbles to the ground if you take away their preconceived notion about our truth. This is one of the ingredients that seem to be cooking up this storm now. It was they who shoved that view of God and spirituality down our throats, not us. Perhaps we are a bit to blame because ultra-Orthodox and maybe even predominant Christian education promoted such falsities over the past century, but anyone with minimal research and learning capabilities should easily see that our philosophy promotes no such ideology. The opposite is true. Our literature is embedded with endless references to a God as a being who transcends all these human-like traits. And in fact, is no being at all. We only use that phrase for a lack of a better and more accurate one. We simply cannot define this entity. But for some reason, despite the clarity to be found on this subject, for anyone genuinely interested in understanding, in ushered a wave of opposition based solely on ideologies that do not align with the factual claims, the opposing party practically marched up a mountain, stuck the pole in the ground, and claimed the intellectual high ground, waving their flag in triumph, but didn't realize that they were on the wrong mountain until years later. Now that it's beginning to crumble down, they continue to hold the moral high ground and believe that they won the battle. No! Not only did you not win the battle, you never even fought the right enemy. They give you this impression of satisfaction that they twisted you into an intellectual pretzel because you went from thinking of God in terms of a punishing old man who hangs out just above the clouds to referring to God with milder terms like forces or energies or powers. But that's entirely untrue. You are the one who viewed God as that angry old white guy in the sky, not us not our philosophers, not our teachers. And you are the one who is now realizing that our aversion of this indescribable entity is more prevalent than you would like to admit, despite all the sciences. And you would have known this all along had you actually learned about God and studied the right works. Instead, you walked in youthful, full of pride and without proper footing, and now you're bearing the consequences of such indiscretions. To put this mildly, we are starting to globally realize that our past wasn't a magical world where butterflies had LED lighting in their wings and gold was dripping off the trees. Our past was just as physical as our present. Of course, there were some things that happened that were outside the scope of nature, but very, very little. Pretty much all miracles were grounded in Mother Nature. 
meaning the skeptics of today would write them off as natural occurrences. And because we are now coming to terms with such realities, we no longer need that huge wall to separate the believers from the non-believers. We are no longer perceived as such a great threat. But also, as a result of our minds thinking realistically about the past, we are now able to go back to our fundamental ideas and continue where we left off by trying to build upon its profound and unexplored nature. This is what I mean by a massive misconception. Scripture doesn't speak of a God that you railed against for so many years. You are just being so arrogant that you wouldn't stop and look at the picture clearly. After the dust settled a bit, opportunity arose for people to crawl out of the bomb shelters and begin to dissect the weapons left behind. That's what we are seeing now, and it's made available thanks to technology as mentioned. Now we will begin to see more profound and deep intellectually honest ideas that resonate and make people think and have valuable conversations. And none of this could have taken place if we weren't plagued by the wave of yesterday. As Rabbi Nachman says in Lakute Maharan, the tzaddik's concealment, referring to the tzaddik's hidden messages within his Torah teachings, is actually revelation in its own right. Because without it, the follower or the student would never understand the teaching. In that light, the seemingly dark cloud that hovered over us and seemed to have challenged everything we believed about God and felt about tradition is nothing but fuel to the ultimate fire of truth and godliness. Indeed, Hashem, who controls nature, works in the most unprecedented ways. It is a true beauty and gift to be able to observe, experience, and be part of such awesome magnitude. That just about sums up all that I have to share right now. As you can see, I can easily record for quite some time just based on one or two sentences that these great minds talk about. And this is what I love about meaningful conversations. We can learn so much from every word. When I listen to what these people are saying, I often have to pause, scroll back, and re-listen. I also wish that they would elaborate more on specific statements, because as you can see, almost every one of their statements is deserving of a conversation of its own which comes to show that only by way of collective effort and collaboration will we achieve great momentum, progress, and healthy strides. It's simply not possible for two, five, or ten people to carry the weight of the whole world on their shoulder. It is important that we all, as individuals and caring humans, do whatever we can on a daily basis to promote positive ideas into the world. That's what I'm trying to do and I would love to see more individuals from the community I grew up in feel that they have the same opportunities at their disposal. Nobody should feel like their environment limits them from achieving or participating in adventures of this colorful world. If you have any comments, suggestions, or inquiries, you can reach out to me directly. My email address is hello at faithisstrength.com. As we just stepped into a new year, 2018, and look forward to the great milestones and goals ahead of us. It's important to reflect on all the various stepping stones, achievements, and phases that we went through the year prior. A short moment of gratitude goes a long way in spiritual living. And so, I would like to take a moment to thank Hashem for my many blessings. 
Thank you, Hashem, for being right by my side throughout every step I took last year. Thank you, Hashem, for keeping me sane, motivated, and driven while living in a world that is often so chaotic and unsettling. Thank you, Hashem, for all the waves, the ups and downs, the bumps and struggles. Without them, I would never reach half my potential. Thank you, Hashem, for the delightful year and every breath I took. Your gifts are endless and enduring. Thank you, Hashem, for life, family, friends, and work. Thank you, Hashem, for how you make me feel when you are close to me and for how stable I'm able to remain when I neglect you. Thank you, Hashem, so much for emotional stability and self-expression. Thank you, Hashem, for Judaism, the Torah, structure, and outlook. And more than anything, thank you, Hashem, for helping me feel thankful, for helping me feel gratitude in my life. It's such a high frequency, so much better than any drug, something I'm totally undeserving of. I love you so much, and I will continue to try my hardest to put my full trust in you. Thank you for my podcast and a platform to share and express all things spiritual and meaningful to me. Please bless us, our family, friends, Am Yisrael, and all of mankind with redemption and peace. I'm looking forward to the delightful year we've entered, one close to you and your truth. Until next time, God bless you all. Stay happy and healthy. Peace and love.